pairings. Uh, and this morning is going to be no different. Uh, Chad and I are going to be tag teaming it. I'm going to lead us through the discovery portion, and then Chad will be leading us through the reflection portion. And um, we were told that we have to smile a lot. So <laughs> just, I have a thinking face that looks like I'm angry. I'm not angry, I'm just thinking. Um, <laughs> it's so true. I know. I'm just like, it's a bit off-putting. Yeah. So. It's like, is he were, angry at us? Is, were we, no. Did we say something wrong? No, I was actually thinking you thought said something really well. Um, and so if I happen to make an angry face, I'm sorry. Just know that I am thinking very, very deeply about what you're saying. Maybe um, a hand on the chin will help. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've never been a chin yeah. person. No. A chin scratcher. I'm more of a put my hands in my hair <laughs> person. Anyway, I digress. Uh, we have a really neat opportunity. Uh, a couple things I want to share. Next week, um, we will be having students, a couple students from Asbury uh, college uh, be coming up um, Asbury as you may remember uh, earlier this year um, was uh, there was a huge just wind swept of the spirit and revival where uh, worship and singing and reading scripture and prayer uh, went unstopped for weeks upon weeks and people ended up coming from all over the country and even the world um, to kind of see what was going on there. And, and we're fortunate enough, Kristen Vondelindy has been in contact with some of the students down there who are part of that experience uh, to come and share uh, a little bit of testimony about what they experienced and, and to even just pray with us and pray for us. Um, I think in my own heart, there's a sense of revival that's going on in our body right now, uh, just even the way, not necessarily revival through worship, though that worship has been sweeter and sweeter every week, but a revival through the word, because as we've been going through this discovery Bible process, we all have a very, very strong access to it, and it's no longer sages on the stage, but people everywhere encountering God's word for themselves, and so we're very excited about that. If you're new to Apex, I do want to invite you again to Encounter. We'll be in the Missions Cafe directly after this. Encounter Apex is an opportunity for us just to learn more uh, about who we are, but even more so experience about uh, how we do community. So maybe you've been coming here for a long time, and or you're brand new, and you don't know what it looks like to be involved in a house church or a community on mission. Uh, today, we're going to be having um, some lunch and just kind of like giving a little bit of an experience for you of what that would look like. So if that is something that you're interested in, myself and some others will be gathering for lunch in the cafe, and children are welcome and will be part of that experience with us. So let's dive in. We're going to be looking at Luke, uh, sorry, not Luke, we've been in John for like a year. <laughs> Uh, we're going to be looking at John chapter 19, verses 38 through 20, verse 10. Before we get into that, I want to remind us of a few key things to remember when it comes to Discovery Bible and what our values are. The first is that we want this, is that we want this to be power balanced. What we mean by that is none of us are smarter than each other. We might be, and we might think that we are, but we like to live by a mantra, a, a saying that I love, is all of us are smarter than any of us. And so we bring what we know. The Gospels, especially the book of John, is like a diamond that's like suspended in the middle of the room, and we're all looking at it from different angles. And you get to see the facet that you see from your angle and from your awareness and your experience, and I get to see it, and you get to see, and we all get to see Everybody gets to see. I'm Oprah right now, apparently. And um, 
And so then we'll get to share. And so we want to be power balanced. We want to be present. That means that we're listening to the Spirit through God's Word. Polite. We want to respect others and be mindful of how we share. Uh, this is an age-appropriate, all-ages kind of gathering, and so let's just be aware of that, um, especially as this is a little bit of a heavy passage that we're looking at today, which is the burial of Jesus. Um, we also want to be passage-centered. We're going to stay in this passage, right? Um, we're not going to outside passages. You may sometimes bring up some stuff that maybe we looked at last week, um, but we really, really want to mind the depths of this particular passage. This is not the time for your three-point sermon. This is not the time for your treatise on, you know, uh, you know, Karl Barth and his perspectives on post-liberal theology. I don't know. Um, I just made up a whole bunch of words there that make no sense. Um, <laughs> and then finally, if this is uh, if this is something that you enjoy, we want to invite others, people as well. We do things differently here at Apex, and we celebrate that diversity uh, and that um, way of doing things that most people aren't used to. Uh, and we find that a lot of people who have been burnt out by the church uh, uh, find a place of comfort and, and, and space here. And so if you know people like that, invite them into the space because it's a really welcoming and free and open space. So does that sound good? Yes. Great. Uh, well, I've got Gene here. He's going to be one of the people that runs on the mic. Uh, he is on our rotation, but I need someone else to help run the mic. Who would like to help? Stephanie. Stephanie Haney. Great. She's, she's asked before. I've seen. I've seen sitting behind her. She's been begging to do it. So let's Stephanie, get Stephanie it's, today. Woo it's All your right. day. So when we start here in a second, we got a mic here and a mic there. Remember, you hold the mic for them. Do not take the mic from them. Um, that's just allows us to make sure that we have our levels right and all that sort of thing because otherwise you'll take it and you'll like be really really loud even though that's not what we want to happen because then that sounds weird all right so let's dive in we are in Luke chapter <laughs> John, John. <laughs> at least you are smiling <laughs> we are in John chapter uh, 19 verse 38 I'm gonna read through 20 verse 10 this is the burial of Jesus in the empty tomb. The word of our Lord reads this way. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and he took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, a man who had earlier visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with, Jesus, with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden was a new tome in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the, body, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Verse 1, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple stared, started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and he looked in the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him 
and he went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. So I'm going to kind of just give a brief overview of what we read, and then we're going to just pair off with a few other people and share one, th one or two things that really stuck out to us. Do we give them another minute to reflect on the passage? Yeah, we'll do that in a second. Oh, Let me retell it. Is that cool? Yeah. So here we are. Mary is outside this tomb. She's expecting to see Jesus' body there. Uh, whoops, go back just a little bit. We have Joseph um, of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Uh, if you guys remember, Nicodemus is the guy who came to Jesus in the middle of the night in John chapter 3, um, where we get the famous John 3.16 uh, explained to him. Um, and then we have Joseph of Arimathea, who seems to be of some moderate wealth, if not even more than that as well as all of these spices, and they lay him down to rest in the middle of the night in secret. And then Mary Magdalene comes the next day and is anticipating on uh, seeing them, um, on the first day of the week, excuse me, and is anticipating on seeing Jesus, but she doesn't. So she runs and she tells who we presume to be John, who is the beloved disciple, the one who is writing this gospel, as we learn later in the closing of the book, as well as Peter, uh, who was the one that just came off of denying Jesus three times. Uh, and we had a really great conversation about that. Um, but then they run, and they see him, and then we have this really interesting little thing that even is said that when, when John sees him, that he believes. When he Yet, sees the linens. Yeah, when he sees yeah. the linens, that, there's, that Jesus is not there. So take a moment and listen and uh, just reflect through the passage yourself. If you need to, I really like to... Uh, use my mind's eye in this process like think of the things that you see like put yourself in that situation What are the things that you smell that you could feel that you could touch? Uh, what what are the senses that are engaged? What are the thoughts that you're having but just take a moment and reflect through that and then when you're ready Share with the person next to you uh, what it is that's standing out
right, go ahead and just find someone up, uh, group up with some people around you and just share what are the things that stood out. Even camera shot. Sorry. Camera shot. Oh, I don't know. I don't know where the parameters are. So what I've done up here is I've just gone ahead and put some of the characters that we met in this story on the board. And one of the things that Chad and I, we just kind of go at, went ahead and kind of gave our two cents. It seems like the person who's not really named but is at the center of all of this is Jesus, which is really good news. Um, but then it's all these different people's interaction with Jesus, uh, or in this case, the absence of yeah. Jesus. Yeah. So uh, let's go ahead and start. Who has something that stood out to them? All right, uh, Gene, let's start down here. Remember to say your name. <laughs> All right, and if you have something else you want to say, Stephanie, go ahead and find someone else over there. Hi, my name's Joseph. The thing that I was wondering is they said they there was a tomb in the garden and they put Jesus in it. Was it going to be like a temporary thing? Just put him in there because they had no place else to put him? 
Mm, so what, what's up with this tomb? Let's just go ahead and ask that. What's with the tomb? Sounds like a Jerry Seinfeld question. What's with the tomb? <laughs> so uh, one of the things that, uh, is th that very well might be happening here is a traditional burial, just to kind of give us a little bit of background. Is that cool if I do that? You're on stage, man. Yeah. I mean. um, but just to give us a little background, what they would typically do is they would take a body and they would place it in a tomb, and then they would seal the tomb shut, and then the body would slowly decay over the course of about six months to a year until all that was left was the bones. Then they would take those bones and they would put them into what is called an ossuary or a bone box. And that's how burials uh, in the ancient world were done, especially within the Jewish culture. And then in the tomb, there would be lines of bone boxes that people could come and visit. But they would have up to six months or a year of a grieving process for that body as it returned to the earth. And so when it says here that it's a fresh tomb, this is one in which there are no other, uh, you know, bones or ossuaries or things like that in it. So that I, whoa. That's so, there's, so there's no mistaken identity. Like, was it that body? Was it that body? Was right. it that body? Yeah. yeah. So what's with the tomb? Uh, it's, we see that it's an empty tomb in all frames of, of the matter. All right, what else? And what stuck out to me is that Mary went, Mary Magdalene went really early in the morning when it was still dark. She was okay. the first one. So we see here that there's a sense in which there's early and darkness. Okay, what else? What's, what's that? Oops, early. <laughs> see, en English spelling or I don't know. So it's early and early. dark when she goes, very good, thank you. All right, let's go ahead back here, Stephanie. Hi, I'm Ruth. Um, my thought was the same thing, that Mary Magdalene went first and it was dark and there's no light switch in a tomb. So she probably didn't see all the linens that the guys saw later. So she assumes somebody's stolen the body. But I think just, okay, we're not supposed to go outside. She would have believed if she'd seen the linens the way they did, I think. But anyway, it was dark. I think it's kind of cool that she was there first. Yeah, no, that's fair. I think, I think the text doesn't mention whether or not she saw the linens. I think all it mentions is like she saw the tomb or the, the stone rolled from the tomb and she jumped to a immediate conclusion there, yeah. So she assumes the body is stolen. Stolen or removed. All, all she says is they have, they have taken the body. I don't know where they have put him. Perhaps the authorities or something had All right, we'll put the word taken there. Taken, yeah. So she's going early, it's in the dark. Uh, another thing is that we see that the first person to visit is a woman, which is really, really interesting, especially a detail that's like, why is this in the text? Shouldn't they be ashamed of this back then? But they're not, right? What else? Jean. I'm Elizabeth, and Hi, this Elizabeth. is for, from Ashley. The part that stuck out to her was that he saw and believed. Okay, yeah. so the disciple who Jesus loved uh, was John, was he saw and believed. Yeah. 
It'd be really interesting if you were to go look up the other disciple or the beloved disciple as your own personal word study and see what was this person's growth of discipleship through the book of John. That brought me a lot of encouragement as I was reading. It's just kind of like, oh, it's not like this one and done thing and following Jesus and believing after him. It's, it's a gradual process, it seems, for a lot of people. Very good. Yeah, and, it, and it's interesting, and this might be someone else's takeaway, so sorry, but like what he saw were the linens. He, like he believed before seeing the risen Jesus, but he saw the absence of the body, and that brought him to belief. Yeah, very good. Do we got someone over here, Gene? Oh, we just did one. Stephanie. I, I, I pick, hi, I'm Kenny. Uh, hi, Kenny. I pick up on little details like this. I find it interesting that it started again, the new covenant in another garden, mm. as on page one. Mm-hmm. So Love it. So we're seeing that all of this is taking place in a new garden. It's like you get up here and you forget how to spell. <laughs> walking and chewing gum, isn't it? So there's, there's, a new, there's a newness that's going on. Yeah. Right? Whatever's happening, whether it's a new tomb, new spices, new garden, whatever's happening, there's newness. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm. Let's go. Gene, over here. Yeah, so... Uh, um, wait, 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 wait. Who are you? Oh, uh, Denny. Hi, Denny. Hi. Um, so about John and Peter, like that that, you know, John gets there and he's kind of apprehensive and like looking around the door or whatever. At least that's the way I imagine it in my mind. And like Peter just busts in and he's like, whoa, you know, like almost knocks down the door or whatever. And yeah. uh, just the differences in their personalities and their like yeah. styles of approaching Jesus. It's very on character for Peter, isn't it? Just to like dive in head first, you know? Yeah. This is really cool how the text lets us know like, you can have different types of responses to who Jesus is. Yeah. Like, that's really, really encouraging. Because I feel like sometimes within institutional church, it's like everyone's got, it's like almost like a cookie-cutter factory experience about who Jesus is and what it looks like to follow him. Um, but that's not what we see in the Bible. All right, Stephanie, over here. I hope I can say this clearly. I kind of connected who, who are, who with... Who Oh, I'm Anna. Oh, of course <laughs> Sorry. you are. Hi, Anna. <laughs> um, I connected with Mary Magdalene because... Yeah. Um, there's this process of grief that they're supposed to practice and it was like stopped and she was in distress because she needed to grieve not that she didn't believe but that almost that that grief being stopped maybe felt horrible but maybe she didn't understand that he didn't just come to take away the grief but the thing that caused the grief in the first place oh oh and the thing that caused the grief in the first place is death Hmm. Wow, that's very good. How do, grief stopped, but how do we want to say that? It's a grief stopped, but what? Transformed? Well, not yet. Yeah, we're not there yet. No, we're not. At the end of this passage, she's still. But it's, it seems that she's distracted from her grief, and grief is like transformed to panic almost, because she's like, it's like looking for something. I don't like. I don't know where they put him. Yeah. Yeah, it's grief stopped but changed. We don't know quite where the change is directing, but we know again there's newness. There's whatever is happening is a major disruption. Yeah, there's a new layer added to the grief. Yeah. So it doesn't mean that we stop grieving either. 
right? Go ahead. My name is Adrian, and what stood out to me was uh, Mary stood outside of the tomb crying because uh, she thought that they had taken her Lord away, and she saw, she saw two angels sitting in there where Jesus was. Not yet. <laughs> it's quite all right. Oh, oh okay, okay. Maybe we'll get I'm that. I know. Oh, it's oh, it's okay, exciting. Okay. You'll get there. My, my bad. I guess, yeah. No, I it's quite all right. It's all right. Sorry. Like, we, like, when we do this next week, you will be ready. You will be so ready next week, and you'll just drop okay, this bomb, sorry, and we're going to be like, Adrian, you're so right. That's amazing. But you said something there that was, I think, really good um, in regard to the, the way that you started off. I'm she sat outside the tomb grieving. Yeah. yeah, that she sat outside the tomb grieving. And again, going back to what Anna said, that there is a process to our human experience that Scripture seems to be acknowledging and giving us permission to enter into. How many of us struggle with handling our emotions? Okay, wow. Well, just you, you don't struggle enough to raise just, your hand. Just, just you. <laughs> it's just you. Right? This is, we have permission to be real with ourselves here. We want to have, like, the, 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 the early community and the community that we want to create here is an authentic, real, raw, transparent community. Go ahead. Just write that. My name's Greg. Uh, an observation following the crucifixion is, don't mean to be negative, but it makes me kind of wonder, like, where are his disciples? And look at who came to claim the body. And um, look how they lovingly prepared it and took care of it and, and gave him a respectful, proper Jewish burial. Mm -hmm. And it was like the disciples, but for Mary, I don't know what they would have done. Yeah. Where are the 12? It's interesting. We get this guy, Joseph. We, we haven't heard of him yet. And he's the one who steps in yeah. to see to it. And... And even though they're coming in secret, right? Mary's coming in secret. Joseph and Nicodemus are coming in secret. They're still coming, right? They're not hiding away. And it seems to be this whole idea of discipleship and secrecy is something that we've really got to wrestle, especially when things are, the, the heat's been turned up. What else? All right, Jean over here. My name's Sydney. Um, I wanted to point out that at the very beginning of this passage, it specifies that Joseph is a secret disciple because of his fear of the Jews, and yet despite that fear, he's still able to make a significant contribution to this ministry of Christ. Yes. Yes. Great. Secret disciples. And in fact, what's really cool about Nicodemus is he, was a he, he came to Jesus in the night, but if you notice, when does Joseph come now? Is he coming at night? Not Joseph, Nicodemus. Is he coming at night? No. He's coming before night falls. So we've seen growth even with Nicodemus when before he would only enter into presence with Jesus in the secrecy and the veiledness of dark, he's actually coming in the midst of the day to do this work, which is like 75 pounds and embalming a body. <laughs> I mean, that's not like something you do in five minutes to get done. Like, it's like a bale of hay, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm just like, I was like imagining like, is, do they have wheelbarrows back then? I don't know. Like, is he just, you know, getting some servants to help out with this? Yeah. But we see Joseph and Nicodemus that there's a secrecy to their discipleship, but they're still faithful in the midst of it. All right, Stephanie. 
Hi, my name's Tom. Uh, what struck me was the burial cloths, how the head was folded and separate from the linen. So what struck out to you about that? Just the way it was presented. Great. So we see here that within the burial clause that there's, there seems to be something that's intentional that's going on, right? That we have the cloth of the face mm -hmm. and then the rolled linens. I don't know what to make of that yet personally, so I'm looking forward to hear what you have to say, Chad. Um, Buckle up. <laughs> but there seems to be there seems to be some intentionality that's going on behind the scenes here. All right, last one. Uh, hi, my name is Kevin, and the thing that kind of stuck out to me is in John 20, uh, in where is that verse? Like I guess towards the end of like verse two, Mary Magdalene thinks that someone has taken him out of the tomb. So then when the other disciples show up, it says that they believed. So I think they're believing that someone stole him out of the tomb. I don't think they're believing at this point that he's risen, risen, risen from the dead. Uh, because when you look at verse 8, the parenthesis after that, uh, it says they still did not understand the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. So I don't think they're believing that he rose from the dead because there's no indication of that in the scripture. What they're referring back to is Mary Magdalene saying that he is stolen from the tomb. All right, Kevin. Um, <laughs> We're laughing because what he's bringing here is, is what, what we don't actually get from the text is we want to be, he's, he's bringing up a really good point that we sometimes got to be careful to not read too much into <coughs> the text because the word belief is one that we know carries a lot of weight, but we don't necessarily know the object or the matter of his faith yet in this. Um, and so uh, there is a really good question that you're raising here about what is the nature of the belief? Um, and is, it, is, he, is he believing in Jesus and what he said about what would happen to him in returning to the Father? Is he believing in Jesus and what he said about the resurrection? Well, it can't be that yet because we're just told or it's not. Or is he just simply believing Mary and her report? And so uh, that's another one. Well, let's see if Chad has anything to say into that. Okay, well, I think it's great that we end it not on uh, something that's like sure and confident, but even a question, because it allows us just to continue to ponder what it is that God's saying. So I'm going to hand it over to Chad now, and uh, he's going to give us a little bit of a final response. All right, well, let's thank the Lord for what he's shown us so far. That's just good, good stuff, you guys. It, you know, this, this, what we've been doing this summer, it's, it's really interesting. It, it is in a sense, like a church potluck, right? Everyone's bringing something to the table. And uh, I grew up with a bit of a Baptist background, so hopefully it seems to you like I'm bringing like something like a good fried chicken to the table. If you know what I'm saying about, can I get an amen in the room anywhere? Oh, there we go, all right. Um, so a uh, quick survey though, um, but with a raising of the hand, how many of you would consider yourselves a tidy person? You like things organized, you're a bit of a neat freak. Any neat freaks out there, yeah? Okay, now how many of you, uh, I mean, you're not going to call yourself a slob, <laughs> but you're a bit more relaxed about things. You're not so concerned about if things are right back where you put them. Yeah, so we have a bit, yeah, we're, we have a pretty even split with that. I'm, I'm somewhere in the middle, I think. Uh, I'm definitely not a neat freak, but there is a limit to the clutter that I'm comfortable with. You know what I'm saying? So, but, um, and maybe if you are fellow parents of young children, you can relate to something what I'll describe to you now. Every now and then, 
My wife will take our kids on a play date or on an errand, and I'll take that opportunity to just tidy up the living room a little bit, right? Get the blankets folded up and put where they go, put the pillows back on the couch, uh, sweep up the toys a little bit, do some vacuuming, and after a bit, this living room feels like a pretty cozy place, right? um, Order from chaos, right? But then my kids get home. I mean, what happens about 10 to 15 minutes after my kids get home? I mean, any ideas, right? We go from order back to chaos, right? And, and it's just kind of like, that's not where your shoes go, right? I, I, just, I just picked up this blanket. And so does anyone else get a little bit bothered where things aren't left where you put them or things don't get put back? Well, it is a, sometimes it is a glorious thing when things do not get put back where we left them. And what I mean by that is 2,000 years ago, human beings took a huge stone disc and inserted it into a grooved slot, but it did not remain where they left it. Had that stone been left where we left it, then it would be a symbol of death and tragedy and hopelessness. But because that tomb, that stone was moved to expose the entrance of the tomb, that multi-ton stone is now a trophy of victory. But let me back up to talk about the burial of Jesus. As we talked about, Joseph of Arimathea was the one who went to Pilate to request the body. And and again, we can say what we want about Joseph being a secret disciple, but it it indeed was a bold move to go before Pilate. He wasn't guaranteed to get uh, his request, and it perhaps could have put him into some sort of trouble. But he was joined, uh, making a cameo, by our old friend Nicodemus, who we haven't seen for 16 chapters. But he shows up, and and as we go back and think to uh, John chapter 3, I can't help but wonder if the words that Jesus said to Nicodemus were echoing in, in his head the thing about, as Moses lifted the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. I mean, multiple things that Jesus said. I wonder if they were somehow reverberating in the head of Nicodemus as he comes with this extravagant gift of spices, again, 75-some pounds. This isn't something that you would do for just anyone. It was kind of a a burial of of a really important person. Not everyone got 75 pounds of spices. We have writings that talk about um, a well-known Jewish rabbi named Gamaliel. Uh, He was uh, Paul's teacher, Paul's rabbi, and uh, he was buried with a similar Uh, weight of spices. So this was the kind of burial that was reserved for a really important person with this amount of spices. So these men, uh, though at some level secret disciples, they were showing extravagant devotion in this. But then we have Mary. Mary coming to the tomb and uh, seeing that the stone is rolled away and immediately her thoughts are she doesn't conclude resurrection right away. She's thinking they have taken the body. And by they, who, who knows what she means? Perhaps the authorities of some sort have removed the body. So she goes and tells Peter and the beloved disciple who we have reason to believe is John. And so they go, and, and you have to love this, uh, this comment that uh, John makes. Is that me? Is that something I can do? Huh? Pull it off my face. My face is thunderous, apparently. You can call me Thunderface from now on. <coughs> please, please don't. Uh, but you have to love this. There we go. 
You have to love this a report of John saying, uh, so they both ran to the tomb, but uh, we won't talk about who got there first, right? I mean, no, John says the younger disciple beat, him, beat Peter there, right? But he doesn't go in, but Peter does. But then eventually John goes and joins him, and he sees the linens. And there's something about the linens, the way they are laid, which indicates that what we don't have here is a case of some kind of burglary, right? Because what burglars do you know leave things tidy? <laughs> do you know, like, what, what case have you heard where burglars are concerned about leaving the place in, a, in, in good condition, right? Um, no, I mean, what, and plus if this was like a quick hit, there, no one's going to take the time to do this, but there was a way that the linens were laid. In fact, some speculate that perhaps the risen body of Jesus somehow evaporated through the linens and, and came through it somehow in a way that, you know, we can't really explain. But, so to, to Kevin's question here, <laughs> uh, he saw and believed. Um, I, I do think it's he saw and believed in the resurrection because there's, there's different words for the word saw that, um, that, that's even used within this passage. And this saw here relates to the word perceived. So it's not that just that he saw the linens, but he actually perceived, he, he saw and did some thinking about the implications of what was going on here. And simply the way that John is consistently using the word believed, I think it indicates that he believed that Jesus was risen from the dead before even seeing the risen body of Jesus. Now, so there's something to think about here though. And that is, why was the stone rolled away from the tomb? We often think that it was about letting Jesus out. But let's think about it, because again, I'm going to jump ahead like Adrian did. I'm going to jump ahead for next week. Next week, we see Jesus appear to his disciples in a house with all locked doors. So Jesus is raised in a physical body, but there's somehow that he doesn't have these certain limitations. I don't know, can he teleport? <laughs> Something about it that he simply appears. So the rolled stone is not to let Jesus out, it's to let us in. Amen. It's to let us in so that like John, we can see and perceive. And by perceiving, believe. And by believing that we can have hope, a living hope. Hope is not, uh, not mere sentimentality. It's, it's, and, and if all you have to do is look in our world and in our culture in the 20th, 21st century, we are in desperate need of hope. According to CDC, the CDC, suicide is up like 30 some percent in the past 20 years. We're living in a culture of hopelessness. And the emerging generations more and more, even though we live in some of the most affluent times in history, more and more the emerging generations are just feeling more and more hopeless and have no good outlooks of the future. And we are future-based creatures. How we experience our present life is contingent on what we believe about the future and whether or not we have any hope. Let me illustrate that. Let's say that uh, I have four kids. Let's say I take two of my kids and I bring them into this room where after everyone's gone and I say, all right, kids, we're gonna serve Apex. 
what we're going to do is we are going to uh, vacuum these pews because, believe it or not, these pews get a little dusty. You don't want to hit them and find out. Just, just take my word for it. These pews get a little bit dusty. So we, we're going to vacuum. We're going to take vacuum tools, and we're going to split the room in half. One kid's going to do half the pews, and the other kid's going to do the other half of the pews. Let's say that I take one of my kids aside in secret, and I say, okay, you're going to vacuum half the pews in this room, and at the end of the day, I'll give you $10. But then I take the other kid, and I say, okay, you're going to vacuum half the pews in this room, and when you're done with your work today, I'm going to give you $1,000. What is their work experience going to be like? Very different. They're doing the same job. They're equipped with the same tools. But the kid who I told $10, they're going to get to maybe the second or third pew and be like, this is so tedious. I don't know if this is worth $10. We're going to be here forever. What is the kid who I promised $1,000? What are they thinking? This is the easiest $1,000 I've ever made. No problem. What is their, what is the, why are they experiencing the present differently? It's because of their expectation of the future. And in the same way, how you experience your present is contingent on what you expect about your future. And the resurrection of Jesus, the implications of his resurrection, are, is our resurrection. That a new world, a new thing has begun. And because of that, we can have hope. No matter where you are in life. I know this is, it feels like an Easter sermon, but man, Easter is, uh, that, this is, resurrection is not something we celebrate one day out of the year. It is the reason for hope. It is the reason that we can have any sense of identity. It is the story in which we find ourselves, in which we live. But it, it's, it, but it takes a matter of intentionally reminding ourselves of that in the day-to-day -day nuances of life. I recently came across a piece of art, and um, it is, um, it's an old painting from, I think, the 19th century. Um, it's called The Chess Players. I told myself I would try to do the German pronunciation of it, but I decided not to. It's <laughs> but it's a German painting, and uh, it's called The Chess Players. And there is a well-known sermon illustration that's attached to this painting. Um, but um, the, the sermon illustration of itself is based on uh, a legend, which is based on an actual uh, event in history. But um, the painting depicts... Uh, a man pretty stressed out on the right there uh, playing chess against the devil. The devil's the one with uh, the red feather in his cap. And the, the feeling you're supposed to get of this, uh, you know, the, this painting is nicknamed Checkmate. Some people call it Checkmate. And the, the feeling you're supposed to get it into it is like there, this guy is pinned in and he's got no shot at winning. It's, it's kind of like that, uh, like sometimes it depicts that, that feeling in life where sometimes things are just hopeless. But there's a story that one day a chess master was looking at this painting and was a bit you know, taken by it, and he looked into the details of it and said, you know what, that's not checkmate. The king has one more move. And that's kind of a theme that we have in the scriptures, isn't it? As the people of God were drawn out of Egypt Chased by the Egyptians, nothing before them but a sea. It, a bit, it felt a bit hopeless. It felt like checkmate. But the king had one more move. When Israel was threatened by a nine-foot giant, challenging one person to come out to fight him with, with slavery on the line, the only person willing to go out was a shepherd boy. It looked like hopelessness. It looked like checkmate. But the king had one more move. 
In John chapter 8, when a woman is caught in adultery and brought out in front of a crowd with, who, with rocks in their hands ready to stone her, it looked hopeless. It looked like checkmate. But the king had one more move. When a brigand was hanging on a cross, knowing he was dying the death that he deserved, it felt hopeless. It felt like checkmate, but he saw who Jesus was. And the king had one more move. When the body of Jesus was placed in a tomb sealed with an immovable stone, it felt like hopelessness. It felt like checkmate. But what am I going to say? The king had one more move. Turn to your neighbor and said, the king has one more move. What feels hopeless in your life? What feels hopeless? Is it you, you or a loved one ensnared by addiction? Is it a pit of depression? Is it something with your job or finances? Is it, is it feel like your, your marriage is hanging on by a thread? All these things in life that feel hopeless, what the resurrection reminds us of is that we serve a king that brings hope to hopeless situations and that a king has one more move. I'm not saying that things will always turn out as you hope, but what resurrection means is that all things will be healed, either in this age or in the age to come. And when we can live with that kind of hope, that completely changes how we can live in the present. Isn't that right? So let's take a minute, and um, we're going to share with one another our intentions. Uh, this is a time that we've done this summer. We, we know that Jesus instructs us, um, you know, the wise man is the one who not only hears the word, but puts it into practice. So think about this week, how you take this message of hope or take this message of something that was mentioned on the board today, and how can you begin to walk something out? How can you live in step with the truths that you have been um, hearing about today? So like, take one minute and let's share our intentions with one other person. And Denny's gonna go ahead and come up and uh, prepare us for worship.